This is KVMR FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Election Day, Tuesday, June 7th, 2022. I'm Claudio Mendonca, and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. The California Report talks with KQED politics editor Scott Schaefer about the potential for a low voter turnout today and examines a bill currently in the House of Representatives that would help new immigrant military service members to rapidly apply for citizenship if they are at risk of deportation. After regional news and weather, Felton Pruitt will speak with Stuart Baker, executive director of the Nevada City Chamber of Commerce. We close tonight with a commentary by Mark Cunaberti. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Polls are now open in California on this primary election day. But KQED politics editor Scott Schaefer says turnout could be pretty paltry. One thing we're seeing in this election is that there isn't a lot of voter interest. In part, that's because the races at the top of the ballot just aren't that interesting, not that competitive. There also aren't any ballot measures of note on the statewide ballot. All of the interesting ones will be on in November. And so there really isn't a lot of incentive for people to come to the polls. As of a couple of days ago, uh, just 13% of ballots, uh, mail-in ballots, had been returned. That's much lower than we saw, for example, in September of 2021 during the recall of Gavin Newsom, where the turnout was much, much higher. And so it could be that uh, you know a, re- a really small electorate will have to see who that benefits. But at this point, it does look like uh, the turnout is going to be quite low. That was KQED politics editor Scott Schaefer. And let's prove Scott wrong by going out to vote. Polls are open until 8 o'clock this evening. And in other news, a bill in the House of Representatives would help non-citizen military veterans who are being threatened with deportation stay in this country. KQED's Nina Thorson has more. The bill, called the Veterans Service Recognition Act, is co-sponsored by six representatives, five of them from California, including Mark DeCano of Riverside, who chairs the House Committee on Veterans Affairs, and Zoe Lofgren of San Jose, who chairs a subcommittee on immigration and citizenship. It would establish a committee at the Department of Homeland Security to review and make recommendations in cases where a veteran or a service member on active duty is at risk of being deported. Those who've already been deported or are under an order of removal would get a chance to apply for legal permanent status if they haven't committed serious crimes. The bill would also require the Defense Department to allow non-citizens in the military to start the naturalization process earlier than they can do now, as soon as during basic training. For the California Report, I'm Nina Thorson. Support for the California Report comes from Paint Care. Now with 834 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. Stanford HealthCare, alerting listeners to the critical blood shortage in the area. Now is the time to donate blood and make a difference. StanfordBloodCenter.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food on the web at theschmidt.org.
It's been nearly a year since thousands of Afghans fled their home country as the Taliban seized power following the U.S. military withdrawal from Afghanistan. Many refugees have made their way to the United States and settled here in California, in places like Sacramento and Fremont. But even with assistance from the Afghan-American community and refugee groups, many newly arrived Afghans have been struggling to adapt to their new California lives. San Francisco Chronicle reporter Deepa Fernandez looked at one community where those struggles are evident on a daily basis, the small Central Valley city of Turlock. She joins us now. Hey, Deepa. Hey, Saul. Good to be here. In your piece, you spend a lot of time with one family in particular. And what really struck me was the husband commenting that there are days when he feels like he should have never have left Afghanistan. We met so many people who feel helpless. And and I think the the mental health implications are are really something that need to be taken seriously. Like, by and large, these are folks who have already experienced great trauma. They have escaped for their lives. And then they were welcomed warmly by this country. Cast your mind back to August when people were just giving and donating and wanting to know how they could help. But very quickly, they've disappeared from the public imagination. And and that sense of helplessness that Ahmed feels, he's not alone. There were many others whereby, you know, they're still day by day, hour by hour, following the progress of their family members who are endangered in Kabul and other places in Afghanistan. Yet they have to be here and make a life. And everybody thinks that they got out and they're the lucky ones. But they're struggling and they're stranded. And right now, Ahmed and his family, he managed to find his own place to rent. He had to ask his brother to sign the lease. And they don't have any way to pay the rent because Ahmed is really struggling to get a job. He needs a root canal, Saul. And he just got told that root canal is going to cost thousands of dollars. He doesn't have any money. And so he's in a lot of pain and unable to even pay rent or get dental work done in his mouth that will help ease some of that pain. You know, what really strikes me, Deepa, is that every day must bring 101 new challenges, big and small, for these refugees from Afghanistan. Yeah, things I think we all just take for granted. You know, you don't, you you forget these very little things, just like milk for your babies. You know, what kind of milk? Where do you get it from? And we're in the middle of a formula crisis. You know, so I think when we think about many of the problems that many of us encounter and and, and especially low-income communities and communities of color, it's just magnified for brand new refugees who are not getting the services that they need. And finally, Deepa, California has history when it comes to refugee resettlement, going back to the Vietnam War, more recently the resettlement of Iraqis from the Iraq War. Are there any lessons learned from those experiences that could help us when it comes to resettling these newest refugees from Afghanistan? One would hope so, but I think what we've seen in Turlock is just the isolation of the place, which has led to even, you know, the Afghan community here in the Bay Area is has also been a little unaware of what's going on because it's just further away. So the Afghan community in Sacramento, in San Jose, has stepped up and has really been helpful. Um, but I think the other main problem, Saul, is the lack of resources. 
when the country wants to bring people here, the International Rescue Committee only gets a little over $2,000 per refugee to do all the resettlement. And many people told me that's just not enough money. That's It's just not enough to get people on their feet. So clearly, if you're under-resourced, you need help of community organizations and the local Afghan community. And in a place like Turlock, that just really doesn't exist. That's San Francisco Chronicle reporter Deepa Fernandez. You can find this story and her other reporting at sfchronicle.com and on Twitter at Deepa Fern. That's D-E-E-P-A-F-E-R-N. And that's the California Report for Tuesday, June 7th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening. Looking now at regional news. Caltrans is alerting motorists to expect overnight closures of the Interstate 80 westbound on-ramp at Atlantic Street this week. The westbound on-ramp will be closed overnight from 8 p.m. to 5 a.m. tonight, June 7th, and then again on Thursday, June 9th, for concrete and drainage work. Atlantic Street Eureka Road motorists will be detoured along Harding Boulevard or North Sunrise Avenue to Douglas Boulevard for access to westbound I-80 during the closure. According to the Union of Grass Valley, early reports from the Nevada County Elections Office indicate that voter turnout is low, considering how many ballots were distributed. It's been very surprising in a lot of ways, says Gregory Diaz, Nevada County's clerk recorder. Each primary has its challenges. They are the hardest elections to do, considering the number of candidates and building the ballot. In November, you have top two. Those elections are way easier, he said. Diaz continued, Last night we were around 16,000 ballots received, which is very low, extremely low. We send out 75,000, so we are looking at 21 to 22% return at this point. I'm surprised the turnout is so low. I have no idea why, he added. Diaz says that by demographics, younger people are not voting. A reminder, all Nevada County vote centers are currently open and will remain so until 8 p.m. this evening. KVMR's Steve Baker will be sharing live election results tonight at 9 p.m. and again at 9.56 this evening. Turning now to regional weather. In Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight partly cloudy with a low around 60. Wednesday will be mostly sunny with a high near 84. On Wednesday night, expect mostly clear skies with a low around 60. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight partly cloudy with a low around 46. Wednesday, mostly sunny with a high near 76. Wednesday night will be partly cloudy, cooling to a low of around 45 degrees. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight, partly cloudy with a low around 62. On Wednesday in the Valley, it'll be mostly sunny with a high near 94. Wednesday night will be partly cloudy with a low around 62. You are listening to the Evening News on KVMR. It's unofficially summer here in the foothills, and that means there's lots to do. This week, Felton Pruitt spoke with Stuart Baker of the Nevada City Chamber of Commerce to find out what we can expect for the month of June. 
We're talking with Stuart Baker. He's the executive director of the Nevada County Chamber of Commerce, and a lot of stuff coming up in the next few weeks and month. Why don't you tell us all about it, Stuart? All right. Thank you, Felton. Yeah, it's going to be really busy June, and we're really excited to get summer kicked off in a fun fashion. We're starting this Saturday night uh, with the reopening of Commercial Street. It's finally done, and we're going to be having the installation dinner and awards dinner for folks that have contributed more than their fair share to making Nevada City a great place. That event actually has just sold out, so we are full there, but look for news for it in the next month as to how things went. But the day after, Village Market Day is coming back for its annual time in Nevada City, and that is on Sunday, June 12th, and it is from 11 to 5 p.m., and there's going to be shopping specials, music, local entertainment, things like street dancing and uh, psychic poet and various local buskers uh, filling in the spaces. And for kids, there's going to be tie-dyeing at the New York Hotel and at magic shows at Mountain Pastimes, as well as face painting. So uh, look for that. And that's, again, from 11 to 5, a week from Sunday. And then our next big event is Art Walk, which is going to be on the 1st of July, and that is from 5 to 9. We just had our very first one of the summer, and uh, it was very well attended, and we're looking to have uh, even more art this time. So uh, that's on the 1st of July. And this year as well, the parade is happening, thankfully. And that's the 4th uh, that's of July the 4th. parade. Correct, exactly. And that's going to be in Nevada City this year, and there's going to be a, a street fair in the morning and the parade afterwards. And then in the evening, there's going to be the fireworks that are going to be on Dorsey Drive again. I know a lot of people had been hoping that the fairground would happen this year. We're looking to have that next year, but with still the uncertainties around uh, COVID, uh, that was not possible to do. So the parade street fair is from 10 to 1.30, and the actual parade starts at 11 o'clock. So we hope to see you there for that. That's a little different timing then. Yeah, usually the parade is at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, I don't know the reason for the change, but I, I think earlier in the day, it's a little bit better in terms of heat, etc. And we know how hot last summer was, and we're all hoping for a cooler summer this year. But that earlier time is when it's going to be. So hopefully we'll see you all out there. A lot of stuff planned for Nevada City in the next month or so. It's always a fun place to be. Absolutely. What else do you want folks to know about downtown? Well, like I said earlier, Commercial Street, all the work is basically been completed. The tough stuff, the dust is settled, and uh, the street is starting to look really beautiful. It's worth just coming down to look at the changes on the street. And the farmer's market is back for the summer as well, and that's every Saturday on Union Alley, which is uh, right here at uh, Robinson Plaza. And we've got the flower baskets up, and for Gay Pride Month, the, the flags are in flag holders for the month of June, and then on July 1, uh, we'll be putting up the American flag. So that kind of gives a pretty nice summary of where things are right now. 
Well, thank you so much. That's Stuart Baker. He's the executive director of the Nevada City Chamber of Commerce. Uh, thanks for giving us all the info. No problem, Felton. You have a good month now. Mark Cunaberti is back with another Money Matters commentary. This week, he shares his opinion about the various possible causes of the current inflation rates that we're all experiencing. Welcome to another edition of Money Matters. My name is Mark Cunaberti. With inflation and the Fed's response to it being the most widely accepted cause of the stock market ills, the question becomes what has caused the inflationary fires to ignite. Inflation rates, although consistently increasing year over year for decades, have remained within the Fed's 2% target rate for most of that time. In the last year or so, however, rates have been spiking. Figures vary on the exact rate of inflation, but we can comfortably say the inflation rate is, well, uncomfortable. When looking to reasons for the increases in prices, many argue we look no further than 2051 Constitution Avenue in Washington, D.C. That's the address of the Central Bank of the United States, known as the Federal Reserve. Among its many functions, it is the entity that controls our currency, the U.S. dollar. The Feds, working in conjunction with Washington policymakers, but reportedly not beholden to them, decide when, by how much, to reduce or increase the supply of money in our economy. This increase or decrease in the money supply acts to throttle up or throttle down the flow of currency in the system, the rate of flow, which can be thought of how fast money circulates between all of us, is called money velocity. When you couple higher velocity with an increase in the amount of money created by the Fed for whatever the reason, the higher inflation can go. In 2008, the Feds created trillions in new money, but much of that money went directly into the banking system instead of to the consumer. It is the reason we saw little inflation in the years that followed. For COVID-19 relief, however, another plethora of trillions was created by the Fed, but this time much of it went directly to consumers. Hence the inflation we are now witnessing. Simply put, government spending, although not the only cause, is thought to be one of the major causes of our current inflationary storm. One would think the economic experts working for Washington would enlighten administration officials as to the possible cause and effect that government spending has on inflation. Whether those discussions go on is unknown, but it seems the education on inflation and spending is falling on deaf ears everywhere. Other central banks are also apparently not listening. Quebec, Canada has announced they will give a $500 stimulus check to about 6.4 million Canadians to help offset higher prices. Following their lead, Washington is discussing a bill to hand out gas money stimulus checks to Americans living in areas where gas prices are above $4 a gallon. The proposed amount is $100 per month at an estimated cost of $168 billion. The Senate passed a $1 trillion infrastructure bill in November of last year, and although finally figures are a moving target, as the differing political aisles duke it out, it's a foregone conclusion more money is going to rush out of government coffers. Additional conversations around other assistance programs like food and rent assistance are ongoing and on the table. Although government spending is acknowledged to at least play a part in today's serious inflation problem, spending even more money for assistance checks to address consumer price increases in part caused by 
previous government spending may be counterproductive and may actually exasperate the problem. At a certain point, one has to question why the feds in Washington are deciding to spend even more money if previous spending got us here in the first place. Won't the additional spending just drive prices even higher, making an already bad situation worse? Making matters worse, a November election is looming. If history shows us anything, it confirms that during election time, the economy and how people are faring is a hot topic when ballots are cast. That means more money from Washington may already be a topic of discussion in the aisles of both parties. Concluding, the Fed has few bullets to fire at the problems inflation causes to the consumer. One of the major weapons to help consumers is to create more money for assistance checks. Unfortunately, creating more money this time around may only make the inflationary fires burn even hotter. That does it for today's Money Matters. The newscast expresses the opinion of myself only. It is not meant as investment advice, nor represents the opinion of any bank, investment firm, or this radio station nor its staff, media, or underwriters. I hold a BA of Economics and Honors with 1979 being the year I graduated and California Insurance License OL34249. Our moneymanagementradio.com is the website. Everything is free. Our way of saying thank you for listening to your community radio station. My name's Mark Kuhnberg. That's our newscast for tonight, June 7th, 2022. KVMR gets support from our listener members and from underwriters like Rick Kalb, Wealth Management Advisor with Northwestern Mutual since 1983, providing wealth management and retirement planning strategies, also second opinions on current investment portfolios on Spring Street in Nevada City. Information online at rickkalb.com. And the Nevada County Registrar of Voters. Reminding listeners that today is election day. Vote centers are open for another hour and a half. Ballots can be returned to any official drop box or vote center until 8 p.m. tonight. MyNevadaCounty.com slash elections. I'm Claudio Mendoza. Thanks for listening. Have a good evening. <laughs>